The Truth News Network. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And we deal in facts. Here's one. You might want to write this one down. You can't comply your way to freedom. That's how prisons work. Seeing the picture? Here's someone who can make it clearer. His name is Dan Newman. That's what we try to do every day here at TNN Live is make things a little clearer. And boy, nobody can credibly give us any positive answer when we ask what is really being done for the good of the American people, totally for the good of the American people. Our government doesn't have any of that. Every bill they pass is loaded with pork. I mean, you think about it. There's one bill that's pending now, and it's an egregious, very fractioning uh, piece of legislation. It's split right down the middle between Americans. And so what did they do? They stuck in that bill the money for the Veterans Association and the Veterans Hospitals for next year. So if a legislator votes against that bill because of all the stuff that's stuck in it, they're going to tell everybody. The Democrats will scream and holler. Republicans voted against funding the Veterans Administration for the next 12 months. That's the insanity that Americans are having to try to puzzle through. And it happens every day. Every single day, Congress is doing something. What are they doing? I don't think most of the time they're doing the business of the American people. I think they're doing the business of 535 members of Congress. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. We do have a full show today. Two interviews today. We've got Dr. Eric Naputi will be joining us at about a quarter till nine, uh, excuse me, a quarter till 10. And then just after the top of that hour, Steve Baker, who is sitting in the Washington, D.C. federal courthouse with bated breath because the jury's out, as you heard last Tuesday. The jury is out. They're contemplating what's going to happen to these five oath keepers that have been in trial there. And at any minute, the verdicts can come back. And so Steve may have an answer for what these uh, verdicts are going to be before we go live at uh, about 10.15. But it may happen during that interview, 10.15 and after that. So he's going to join us as uh, circumstances in court will allow that to happen. So in the meantime... We want to make sure that we get on top of the very important things that you need to know, you and I need to know, and be able to uh, say that we actually know what the heck is going on. Well, there's some um, consternation going on in the Republican Party in D.C. I know that probably doesn't surprise you. It certainly doesn't surprise me. Kevin McCarthy, who is the minority leader in the Republican Party, He is the odds-on favorite to win the speaker's job. But there are some problems there. Several top conservatives are warning that if McCarthy, if he does not win the speakership election on the floor of the House, that's going to happen January 3rd, 
a doomsday scenario could emerge where Democrats undercut GOP power. In fact, if they can't get their stuff together, and there's about five Republicans that are saying, we don't want to vote for Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. If those five hold on, guess what is likely to happen? The Democrats will name the Speaker of the House going forward. Conservatives ranging from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia to Congresswoman-elect Harriet Hageman, who defeated outgoing Rep. Liz Cheney in the primary in Wyoming, are urging everyone to get behind McCarthy or risk this possible fate where Democrats seize back some power from the minority. So the way things play out from here is like this. On January 3, the new Congress will be sworn in. The old Congress is going to leave office. The very first order of business in the new House is to do what? They've got to elect a speaker, somebody that will ramrod what goes on there in the House of Representatives every day. That's the first order of business, to win the speakership. Whoever wants it, a candidate, must receive a majority of votes from every voting member in the new Congress who is present and voting for a person. If every voting member is present and votes for a person, in other words, if no one is voting present or abstaining, and if no voting members are absent, McCarthy would need 218 votes on the floor to win the speakership. There are 435 voting members of the House. Delegates from places like the territories of Puerto Rico and Guam, as well as D.C., don't get to vote in this election. Republicans will formally nominate McCarthy on the floor. Democrats will presumably formally nominate their new incoming House Democrat leader, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, who's a Democrat from New York. Jeffries is slated to take over as the top Dem when outgoing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi steps aside in the new Congress. Pelosi's going to stay as a member of the House, even though she's stepping aside from leadership. Republicans had in what they call conference earlier in November, they had selected McCarthy as their official nominee for Speaker. He got 188 votes. Former House Freedom Caucus Chairman Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona, who ran against him in conference, won 31 votes. McCarthy's 188 is impressive and better than he has ever gotten before. He had fewer defectors than his predecessor, former Speaker Paul Ryan, got in conference when he ran for Speaker the very first time in 2015. But McCarthy is still 30 votes shy of the needed 218. So I'm going to get to the nuts and bolts of this. Technically speaking, any voting member can vote for any person they want, nominated or otherwise. In recent elections for speakers, some members have voted for candidates who haven't even been nominated. A person doesn't need to be a current member of the House to be elected, and some members have in recent years voted for people like then-Senator Jeff Sessions, Republican from Alabama, or Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, to be Speaker of the House. Again, to win, a candidate, nominated or not, needs to win a majority. If anyone on either side, Democrat or Republican, is absent, abstains, or votes present, 
The number of votes that McCarthy would need to get drops from 218 to whatever the majority of those present and voting for a particular candidate is. McCarthy's been getting a lot of criticism thrown his way from some House conservatives like Matt Gates of Florida, Andy Biggs of Arizona, Bob Good of Virginia, Ralph Norman of South Carolina, and Matt Rosendale from Montana, who have all said in some form or another they don't intend to vote for McCarthy. So given this little bitty majority Republicans hold in the new Congress, They've won 222 seats. A group of five or more Republicans banding together to vote for someone other than McCarthy, assuming all other members are present and voting for somebody, could deny him the majority that he needs to win the gavel. What happens next? Well, if that happens, what happens next is what concerns several top conservatives, even some who have been critical of McCarthy through the years. Technically speaking, again, the House cannot conduct any business until it elects a Speaker. Therefore, denying McCarthy on the floor vote would throw the chamber into chaos until someone emerges with the ability to cobble together 218 votes or a majority of those present and voting for a person on a future ballot. The House will keep holding Speakership elections until such time as it elects a speaker. It's in that chaos, and I promise you, if this happens, it will be a war and a very public war. It's one that I would like to have a bag of popcorn and go sit up in the gallery and just watch and listen. It could be really bad. It's in that chaos that Democrats might step up to back an establishment Republican alternative to McCarthy, who, in exchange for Democrat votes on the floor of the House to get the majority needed to win that speakership, would agree to rule changes to weaken subpoenas coming from the new House GOP majority into Democrat President Joe Biden's administration. The incoming chair of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reforms, Representative James Comer, has warned of this concern. He said, I think it's of the utmost importance that we agree on a speaker. I believe it should be Kevin McCarthy. I believe it will be Kevin McCarthy in the end. But if we have four or five holdouts that could potentially block McCarthy, that would allow the opportunity for some of the moderate Republicans to join with the speaker, Nancy Pelosi. That wouldn't accomplish the goal of conservatives that are upset with Kevin McCarthy. We had a vote in conference Andy Biggs challenged McCarthy. Andy Biggs is a good friend of mine. We came into Congress together. He's a great member of the House Oversight Committee. But McCarthy prevailed. He prevailed four to one. We need to come together and elect Kevin McCarthy. In analysis of this, let me just tell you, this is what for years has ticked me off about the Republicans. And I'm not a Republican. Everybody thinks I am, but I'm not. I am a registered independent in the state of Louisiana. Now, why you're a conservative, you're very conservative, Dan. Why aren't you a registered Republican? It's because of stuff like this. I mean, you look across the aisle. Look how Democrats function. 
when they get to a situation like is facing all Republicans on January 3rd, we would know right now where they all stand if they were looking at having enough votes of their own party, from their own party, to get the speakership and keep it in Nancy Pelosi's hand. We'd already know about it. There wouldn't be any infighting. There wouldn't be any consternation. They, far more than the Republicans do on every issue that comes before them, they work better and achieve better results than the Republicans ever do. I don't understand that. I believe in debate. I believe in trying to coerce you into believing the same way I believe on every important issue. I like that process. But I'm not so hard-headed as to think that my way is always going to be the right way, nor is my way always going to be what everybody else wants it to be. Sometimes you just have to suck it up and step back and let somebody else step forward. After all, these guys and these women don't work for the political party in which they hold the position. They work only for the American people. We're talking about the House of Representatives, 435 of them. They work for the people in the districts that they represent. They don't work for Congress. They don't work for the Republican Party. They don't work for the Democrat Party. They work for you and I. Did you vote them to go there and be conservative? No question about it. So why the heck are they struggling to come up with their ability to support Kevin McCarthy? What has he done that is so egregious? I know he made some rules changes that these five or six or so don't like, but you don't always get everything you want in anything. And I got to be honest with you, you put 435 people in the same room, I can't believe they ever get anything done. Every one of them is a type A personality. They're alpha males and alpha females. And I know I'm being sexually incorrect. I'm a sexist because I used female and male. Forget about that. That's immaterial and it's stupid in the first place. And you can quote me. But my point is we got bigger fish to fry. We need to get this thing resolved and get on about the people's business and stop this party infighting over something that's not trivial, it's very important. But get out of the way of it and let the will of the people that elected you make that decision, not you. Now, how do you really feel, Dan? You really want to know? I feel like crap. I've got this chest thing going on, and it is driving me nuts. I'm sure you can hear it. At least I'm not hacking like I was yesterday. And it's because I got up real early this morning and got started taking care of it. But nevertheless, it doesn't just stay in my chest or my uh, throat. It, it just goes all through. You know how it is. When you get something like this, it just drags you down. I'm going to be fine. But the reason I sound angry right now is not because I'm angry. It's because I'm down a little bit just because of the physical stuff. I am on top of it all in every other place. I think the United States of America is in a better place than many of us thought it would be 
when the 2020 election happened. We're still in this thing. We're still fighting in this thing. And we haven't given up yet. If we start doing that, we're not going to look like uh, what most people think a Democratic-controlled United States of America would look like. We're going to zoom right past that. We're going to talk in a minute about what our fathers expected us to look like as a nation and what we look like as a nation in reality. But let's move on to Mr. Musk, Elon Musk. And by the way, at 945, Dr. Eric Naputi will be with us live. You remember him from week before last? He is that Missouri doctor that the Department of Justice popped with a $500 billion bill that he owed them for his um, unethical treatment of patients in his various practices. And how unethical was it? He was telling everybody, don't get the vaccinations. He was treating his patients, by the way, very, very, very successfully with vitamin D, large doses, and other natural uh, treatments that Dr. Fauci, he can't stand that. You know that. And so he got the Department of Justice, the FDA, involved in it, and they popped him for half a trillion dollars. That'll ruin your day. When you get that note from uh, uh, the Department of Justice, right? Well, he's going to be with us. He's back up on the hill because just a couple of days after that happened, guess what? A big research center came up with facts that counter what the government has maintained but enforces what Dr. Naputi had been treating his patients for doing. And so there is aftermath. We're going to get his take on that at 9.45. About 10.15, Steve Baker will join us. I know many of you are here to see what Steve has to say about that Oath Keepers trial. We're not going to miss any of it. So just there'll be a carryover from Dr. Naputi to Steve Baker. So just stay with us. We'll get over as soon as Steve gets uh, online and can speak to us. He's waited A long time to get those uh, verdicts in. He's waited since last Tuesday, as a matter of fact. So hopefully they'll come in a little bit before we go live. But in any way, we're going to get you that information as it happens. So back to Elon Musk. He's opened up another Pandora's box. Twitter users, they went all over the place yesterday on Musk tweet, attacking the media for being against free speech. Now, what's he talking about? At Monday's White House press conference, Corinne Jean-Pierre, White House press secretary, she confirmed the Biden administration is keeping a close eye on Twitter after Reuters' Andrea Shalal asked what is being done to prevent the platform becoming a vector for misinformation. There's a researcher at Stanford who says this is a critical moment in terms of ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector of misinformation. That's a phrase. It just sounds like it can be weaponized good. Uh, A vector of misinformation. Elon Musk says there's more and more subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that and what tools do you have? Who is at the White House that is really keeping track of this? 
political commentator Dave Rubin. You hear him here on TNN Live occasionally. I like him a lot. He shared video of that exchange condemning the reporter for advocating for the government to intervene in social media. Musk responded by calling out the media for acting against free speech with regard to Twitter. Absolutely insane watching the machine go after at Elon Musk for defending free speech. The whole exchange is kabuki theater, from the ridiculous leading question by the journalist to Jean-Pierre's obviously prepanned response, Rubin tweeted. Musk tweeted in response, Why are so many in the media against free speech? This is messed up. Several social media users online agreed with Musk, telling him that the mainstream media is now determined to limit free speech. Their worldview doesn't rely on truth. It relies on emotion, and truth interferes with that. Freedom of speech interferes with them controlling the narrative. And here you are to flip that. Radio host Jerry Callahan wrote this, So messed up, so wrong, so un-American. Musk should be viewed as a hero for what he's doing for free speech. Instead, the media wants the federal government to crush him. Freaking insanity. This is about raw power and control over the flow of information. The same principle underlies the battle over Spanish language disinformation. That's coming from director of uh, Latino messaging, Jorge Bonilla. They've literally scared to death of Twitter 2.0. Massive implications for the future, especially in politics. What this should do. If you question it being out there and what you've heard here about media and what the media, mainstream media's objectives are, this should confirm to you exactly not just what's going on today regarding the media, but what's been going on for years. The media, every person in mainstream media wants to be beloved by any Democrat in office, but specifically a Democrat in the White House. They want to be the ones that, in this case, Joe Biden turns to, to be the source of distribution of a partisan narrative that's coming from the president. And, of course, it's going to be slanted heavily towards the mainstream leftist mantra, whatever that is of that particular day. They want to be the guy. They want to be the girl. And there I'm going again, being sexist, right? They've done this for so long, they don't even realize that's what they're doing. They still maintain, in many ways, in many cases, we're the arbiters of truth. We don't put our hands on the the measure or the scales of justice or freedom or truth. We just give it straight. We don't try to weight it down with our opinions, you're right. Like Americans believe that. This is exposing them. They're actually here proving that what they really loved about Joe Biden was his attack on a news outlet, any news outlet, that doesn't give them the power to choose what is reported and what is not, rather than just giving Americans the facts and letting Americans determine what they want to think about it. 
Let me just liken this to something that's happening. Did you know that Shanghai, China has 25 million people that live in it? Now compare that to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. has about 25% of that in population. So just imagine if this happened in New York City, what's happening now in Shanghai. Xi Jinping has issued a total lockdown for four months in Shanghai, China. 25 million people. And if you leave your place of residence, or by the way, this was pointed out to me this morning, when that edict by Xi Jinping went into effect, Chinese people in the Shanghai area, that city and its suburbs, if at the moment it went into effect, if you were in your car driving towards Disneyland, which they have one there, you were told to pull over and you're stuck in your car. They're going to lock you in your car. If you were at Disneyland, you're stuck in Disneyland. You can't go home. If you're in your office, the same thing. When you look at this, you say, this can happen on planet Earth. But you know what? It's happening today, right now, in Shanghai. Now, we're not going to get into the Anthony Fauci and the latest stuff that he came out with, but he made it very clear over the weekend in interviews that he held, and he was asked very specific questions. Anthony Fauci fell in love with lockdowns during the one that he instigated. He didn't make the final call, but he instigated it in our country. Almost two years of it. He loved every minute of it. You know why? Anthony Fauci is consumed with the Napoleon concept or the Napoleon thinking or scourge or whatever you want to call it. And that, what is that? The Napoleon complex. What is it, Dan? Small people feel like they're not as equipped, they're not as capable as people that are of taller stature than they are. And so they carry that chip around all the time. Napoleon was a little bitty guy. He didn't just stick his hand inside his shirt when he was walking around. He did all kinds of things in government to try to make everybody feel like that as a short man, he was not incapable of doing anything that a tall man does. That complex has been around for decades and generations. That means centuries. We're not talking about that in this case. We're talking about Anthony Fauci that just has, it wouldn't matter if he was 6'6", he has a lust for power over his fellow Americans. And I promise you, if there is any inkling of any type of virus getting out and getting widespread in the United States, he will see to it that Joe Biden and the governors in the the U.S. instigate a total lockdown Maybe not as egregious as what's happening now in Shanghai, China, but it will be so far more egregious than what we experienced before. You'll think you live in China instead of in the United States of America. I don't make a lot of predictions, but I'm going to tell you, this is one 
that I would place a significant bet on. But it only happens if something in the way of a widespread virus that, you know, it's contagious and it spreads easily, like COVID-19, and maybe COVID-19 comes back. I don't know. But nevertheless, if something like that happens, I promise you, we're looking at a China, a Xi Jinping lockdown like Shanghai. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. And as I said earlier, we are going to break away to interview Dr. Eric Naputi. He's going to join us at 9.45, exactly 9.45. We worked out a detail. He uh, very graciously, he was looking at other interviews, and uh, he asked me, hey, when do you want to do this? And I told him, you know, we got Steve Baker coming up shortly after 10 o'clock this morning. Love to do it at 9.45. And he said, I'll move everything else around. He's a gracious and kind guy. If you haven't met him before, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, week and a half ago when he was with us, you're going to really enjoy hearing from him. He's just a nice Midwestern guy, but he's a very successful doctor, and he's got a huge practice. He'll tell you more about that, but he got in the, he got in the, uh, the uh, headlights of the Department of Justice because of Dr. Anthony Fauci, of course, and because Dr. Naputi was treating a bunch of patients 
not using COVID-19 vaccines. In fact, telling us people don't get the vaccines. He'll tell us more about that. So make sure you hear 945, about uh, 13 minutes from now. And then right after the top of the hour, Steve Baker, live from the federal courthouse in Washington, D.C., from that Oath Keepers trial. Five Oath Keepers, you know, those egregious criminals that stormed the Capitol on January 6th. They were armed to the teeth with guns and knives. And they were there to commit Insurrection Act. Yeah, we know that. We heard all about that. Well, not a single one had a gun. Not a single one had a knife. In fact, the FBI went to their hotels and checked out their hotel rooms. Not a single knife, not a single gun. In fact, they were all there to escort people that were speaking at the rally early that morning. That's what the Oath Keepers, much of them, that's what they do. But it didn't sound like it was good enough. So we have to try to make them into insurrectionists, waiting momentarily on the results of the jury going out and the verdicts may come in between now and then or may even come in while we have Steve Baker on with us. But he'll be joining us about 10.15. Back to the guy, the number one guy, Joe Biden. Now remember, this guy, he made it very clear. I'm going to rule if I can't get Congress to do it with me. I'm going to rule by executive order and by jingos, we're going to get all these things done. And I'm a union guy, so I'm going to take care of union guys. He should have said that first. Why? Because we're facing a conundrum that, i got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm fasting and praying. I get this one resolved. There is a real rail strike that is looming. And if it happens, and right now, it's better than 50-50 that it's going to happen. It's going to inflict billions of dollars, maybe tens of billions of dollars in economic damage. And if you think it's hard for you to get stuff now, wait till this rail strike happens. Biden yesterday, listen to what he did. This is Mr. Executive Order. He is, he's tweaked out on this thing. He has now asked Congress to pass legislation to immediately adopt a tentative agreement between the railroad workers and operators of these railroads trying to avert a potentially crippling national rail shutdown. It's set to start in less than two weeks. December 9th could bring rail travel to standstill while impacting the supply chain, inflicting billions in economic damage. One analyst published in a report in September, such a strike could cost the U.S. economy more than $2 billion every day at a time when inflation is through the roof already. Congress could step in and stop it by imposing contract terms on railroad workers. They can do that under what's called the Railway Labor Act, which was passed back in 1926. Let me be clear, a rail shutdown would devastate our economy. With, without freight rail, many U.S. industries would shut down. 
My economic advisors report that as many as 765,000 Americans, many union workers themselves, could be put out of work in the first two weeks alone. That's Biden in a statement that he gave from the White House yesterday. He added farmers and communities across the country, they're not just talking about what it's going to do to the railway strike strikers. It's going to do it to farmers. Could also be impacted. While the farmer being unable to feed their livestock and the latter potentially losing access to clean drinking water. Biden asked lawmakers to adopt a a deal brokered by the White House. It was announced back in September without any modification or delay. Now, he considers himself to be the arbiter of negotiations and finding middle ground. I wonder, now this says that he wants Congress to take action on that deal that was brokered by the White House back in September and he declared he want them to do it with no modification to the deal that he put out there. Under that deal, union members get a 24% pay raise over five years. That, you add on improved health care benefits, operating craft workers would be granted the ability to take unscheduled leave for medical needs. Since it was announced in September, The majority of the unions, approximately eight, have voted to approve the deal. But four unions, which collectively represent more than half of the 115,000 workers in the industry, have voted to reject it. What do they want on top of what this offers? Paid sick leave to be added to the agreement, something they currently do not get. Freight rail companies aren't budging, though pointing to high pay and short-term disability benefits among workers. Biden said yesterday, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vizlak, and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg have been in regular contact with labor leaders and management since then, but they believe there's no path to resolve the dispute at the bargaining table. I got to be honest with you, if the only thing that's there is a push for paid sick leave, think about that. They're going to shut this down and cost across the board in America $2 billion a day, and they're going to hold out for that or shut down the nation. Once again, there's that power thing that goes along with Something like this, like shutting down schools and businesses and churches. Is this another grab for power? This time it wouldn't be by the White House, but it would still be some people that really lust for more power. I'm sure by now you've heard about the Senate's Respect for Marriage Act. And they're throwing this into the fray of this last few weeks before this Congress is over. And they're trying to hurry up and get it passed. It's got some of the left on the Democrat Party side arguing that efforts to safeguard same-sex unions remain unfinished. They can't get it done. 
can't get concessions to get it done. The bill as it currently stands would officially repeal the Defense of Marriage Act, and it would require each state to recognize legal same-sex and interracial marriages, but it wouldn't codify the Supreme Court's 2015 ruling in Oberfeld versus Hodges that legalized same-sex sex marriages nationwide or prevent that high court from eventually overturning the landmark decision. It'd be great if the bill went further, but we don't have the votes for the bill to go further. That's coming from Democrat Brian Schatz out of Ohio, uh, excuse me, out of Hawaii. I think this is an enormously important first step. I don't think there are any guarantees that the Supreme Court will not overturn the president that says recently with Obergefell, so this is important to protect the rights of same-sex couples across the country. This is the bill I told you in the opening today that Democrats are putting it, they're not putting it up for a vote on its own merits. They're putting it into a clump. This is one piece in an omnibus bill. And the omnibus bill, which contains this and other bills, many of which, most of which are controversial, but they're throwing in funding the veterans, everything to do with veterans' benefits, hospital system, veterans' pay. They're putting this in with that bill. And what they're doing it for is they are telling these lawmakers, look, this is in a bill, this same-sex marriage, this codifying of this same-sex marriage. If you don't vote for the same-sex marriage that's in the bill, you're going to be saying no to funding veterans care. Sadly, this is how this is how government works today. And that's just another illustration of how broken things are. Speaking of broken, Dr. Eric Naputi from Missouri his practice and everything he thought was real through his career before coronavirus came to a screeching woe. And it was kicked in the knees by guess who? The federal government at the leadership of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Naputi, he will join us right after this. He's going to bring you some really good news. Real truth, real news, TNN. The Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. 
Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from the Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Well, it's time. I've told you about it. I promised you, and we've got a huge crowd waiting for you. Dr. Eric, good morning. How are you today? It's great, my friend. It really is amazing time to be alive. Well, things weren't so good about two weeks ago, and I want you to break it down for our audience exactly what happened give us the for we got more people than were here before so give us a quick synopsis of what went on that got you in the bullseye of the department of justice well in early 2020 i was one of the first doctors to stand up and say wait a minute there's a lot that could be done to help with covid there's a lot of things that we can do to reduce our symptoms and and if you remember the federal government early on told us that if you get sick with COVID, you go home, take Tylenol, and hopefully you don't, you know, turn your lips blue and 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 have to go to the hospital. Well, we said no. There's a 150-year-old homeopathic remedy, high-dose vitamin D, zinc, uh, quercetin, vitamin C. You know, we we started making these recommendations, and we actually started giving out uh, vitamin D to people across the country for free, uh, donating it to folks. And the federal government came after me and said that I violated the COVID Consumer Protection Act. And they said that I uh, used fraud to profit during COVID by telling people that if you take vitamin D, that you won't get COVID. If you take vitamin D, you don't need a vaccine. Well, we never said any of those things. Uh, but we did, as we told people, that if you took the right vitamins, took the right precautions, you could help prevent severe sickness, illness, and et cetera. Well, the government sued me for half a trillion dollars for, uh, for those actions. And you know, when that first happened, Dan, I was confused, but a little excited because I thought, well, we're going to get a chance to show the government. We have a hundred studies that support what we're saying. We've got all these randomized controlled studies that support it. And I was looking for a conversation with them. They didn't want a conversation. They wanted to make an example out of me. And even after we showed them a hundred studies, 24 randomized double blind control studies, and a recent study that was just published uh, back in November 12th of 2020, that was a 600,000 person study that clearly shows if you are adequate with your vitamin D levels, you can reduce the risk of infection uh, by uh, 28% and reduce the risk of death by 33%, which the researchers in this paper said if politicians and doctors would have talked about the benefits of vitamin D uh, at the beginning of COVID, we could have saved the lives of 116,000 Americans in 2020 alone, and 4 million uh, cases of COVID could have been prevented in America alone in 2020. So it's, it's that's kind, my it, story. Good. I was just going to say it's kind of difficult to argue with a test of six hundred 
8,000 people. That's a pretty good sample to do for any laboratory test. Well, Dan, not only is it a pretty good sample, because if you compare that to, like, for example, the uh, the study that was done on the booster shots, which were not studied on one human being, they were on uh, six to eight mice. Uh, that's what, you know, that's what they base their efficacy studies on. And by the way, when you look at a study, we look at something called the p-value, which is the probability of, of you know, this being a, a random uh, choice, well, or a random selection. The p-value on this, anything that's above a 1 is considered, sorry, below a 1 is considered high. The p-value on this is a 0.00001. You can't get any more perfect with this study. So this literally is the nail in the coffin. And I've been praying for God to show me the one smooth stone that I'm supposed to throw at this giant to knock it out. Well, on November 12th, he gave me this study. And and I got to tell you, since we've put that out, um, I've had everybody in the national media want to talk to me. We've had politicians want to talk to me because the reality is, like you said, there's blood on people's hands because they did not know this information. The government intentionally colluded to suppress this information. And by the way, not only are they suing me for half a trillion dollars, um, they, they, over the last 18 months, they've shut down five of my bank accounts. They've uh, colluded with the insurance companies. So my patients can't use their health insurance in my practice like they used to. They've colluded with social media and my advertisers so that I can't advertise our practices, which we've done for 15 years in the past. They've done everything they can to, to make our life a, truly a living hell. And the reality of it is, is that God told me, just stay in the game. Just stay in the game, Eric, and I'll provide a way. Now, this fight's not over yet. The government is still delaying and delaying and delaying. In fact, I'm supposed to be in trial right now as we speak. But they delayed it again for another three and a half months because they just don't know what to do with me. And and you and I know that that's a great thing. I will tell you the one stress that comes with that, and God is providing, uh, is it's about $200,000 a month for me just to stay in the game. I've, I've spent $3.5 million uh, my entire life savings. I, I told you I just sold a piece of property uh, and a car that I own to pay my legal fees so I can stand in the gap against this tyranny. And we've got it. We've won. The science is on our favor. The facts are on our side. God's on our side. It's just a matter of how long is it going to take before, you know, the realization the government has that they 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 really screwed up and they stepped in a big one and it's blowing up in their face, Dan. They did not expect anybody to have the wherewithal to be able to go toe-to-toe with them because you know better than any of the rest of us. But if you get in federal litigation, you better come in with mid-six-figure dollars in your bank account or more because that's what it's going to cost you to keep federal uh, federal defense attorneys on staff and also all of the other stuff that goes along with that. And they did right. not expect you would be able to respond that way. No, they didn't. They didn't. And God provided the entire way. I mean, my goodness. I mean, who has the wherewithal to, to withstand $3.5 million in legal fees? And uh, my attorneys are telling me I'm probably going to have at least another $2 million to get to and through trial. But we're going to do it. God's going to provide. He always has. and He'll keep doing it. But it's just wild. In fact, we put a website together, Dan, called fightwitheric.com. And it lays out everything that we've done. All of our interviews are on there. All the data and research and science is there that supports what we have. What's sad is Google has already suppressed that website. Uh, and and all social media uh, networks have said that it's against community standards uh, to, to have that website. But it's there. And people can go and they can 
see the see the fight. They can donate and they can pray because that's what we need, my friend. We need we need ammunition and we need prayers. Well, have you heard anything from them since this latest uh, report went public? I got all kind of phone calls. I know they've got somebody looking in and knows about it. Oh, they definitely have. We've, we've laid it out there and told them what's going on, and it's been radio silence. They literally have delayed our case because of these advancements in information, and they just don't know what to do with this. I mean, you're right. They thought that I was just going to bend my knee and kiss their ring and move on to the next thing, and that's just that's just not it. I mean, listen, I serve a greater God than they do, and God's providing, and this is bigger than just a doctor in central Missouri fighting the government for the ability to have freedom of speech. I mean, this is also natural medicine on trial. This is also, you know, they have a uh, 250 nutritional products that the FDA is trying to take over. And uh, there are several senators that have put legislation uh, on the floor in D.C. to try to get the uh, pharmaceutical industries to take over, uh, you know, big, big nutrition and the FDA to regulate it. And if that's the case, then then we're done with our health. And so this is so much bigger than just me. And, and that's why God's providing in such a big way. You're right. They did not expect uh, me to 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 last this long uh, and to take it all the way. And we are going to take it all the way. I am going to trial on this. I could have taken multiple settlements to walk away, but we have got to take this all the way to trial so that this can never happen again. What attorneys did you find to represent you? We've been very blessed. We've had, we've got some amazing attorneys here locally in St. Louis, Missouri that have done a phenomenal job defending us against the FTC and the DOJ. Uh, we've got uh, co-counsels from all across the country. I mean, al- almost every attorney from different liberty groups in the last week and a half has reached out to me since this study has come out because it truly was the nail in the coffin. It truly was the one stone that God gave and said, all right, throw this stone out there, and this is the one that's going to knock out the giant. So we've I'm blown away by, by the uh, people that have reached out to help support us. Um, and, and the attorneys that have reached out to support us. And we're finally starting to get some politicians behind this as well. But at the end of the day, it's all about we the people. The one thing that the government officials are afraid of is us rising up behind each other, supporting each other. They're scared of the masses. We are in control, not them. And as long as we continue to stand strong, and stand for what's right, we can push this back and we can make sure that this will never ever happen again. We've got so many countersuits against the government and their colluding agencies, including the banks, the insurance companies, the Associated Press, I mean, the the medical boards, they tried to take my license five times uh, over this. And, And the complaints never complained about what I said, they complained about how many people heard the message. So they're scared that our our courage is what's gonna be contagious, Dan. Have you talked to counsel about possibly countersuing the Department of Justice over this? We have, and that's what we're trying to come up with now. And so, you know, if there's any amazing, uh, uh, you know, justice attorneys that are out there, people that understand how to go after the federal government, you know, it's very difficult. They have laws set up to where the government basically can do whatever they want. And my understanding is it's very difficult for us to sue them back, uh, even for attorney fees. And and, and the reality of it is, is that we've got to be able to go after this injustice 
so that we can set a precedent that, that it never happens again. So if there's any attorneys out there that, that know how to win this battle or any great Americans out there that want to stand with us on this, go to that website. Go to fightwitheric.com, and they can, they can contact us there. Uh, they can learn about the resources, and they can donate their prayers and, and, and any resources that they want to donate to us to continue this battle. I'm going to post this interview that we're having right now, and I'm going to send it to Lynn Wood. Um, he is one of those guys that takes on the giant. I don't even think it's a giant takes on the dragon, the federal government regularly. And I think this would be a case that would be right down his alley. I'll do that. And I'm sure there are others that are listening into this show today and all you need to do. And I'm not going to give them your, I'm getting a phone call now. Uh, I can't take it. I can't take it while you and I are talking. Um, but, um, what I, what I was saying about Lynn Wood, mm-hmm. uh, I can't forget what I was saying. If you're out there, if you're a high-powered attorney, and you know who you are, um, give me, write me an email. Send it to dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. And I will put you in touch with Eric. He'll put you in touch with his lead attorneys. But I think, I think we all should stand behind everything that's going on, Dr. Naputi's practice, and what the federal government has done under the guise of protecting the American people, which is not what they're doing. It's protecting their medical bureaucracy that they want to put together where they control everything. They tell us what we can eat, drink, what we can take in the way of medicine, what we've got to do, what we can't do. I, I doubt if you were listening earlier, Eric, but I talked about what, what's happening today in Shanghai, China. 25 million people and their government yeah. shut them down, locked them down totally. Can't leave your home, can't leave your office. If you were in your office when the shutdown began, you can't get out of your office or they'll shoot and kill you. Four months they're locking them down for. And that can be for only one reason population control because it's going to kill millions of people doing that. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. I'm not going to paint this picture that our government's going this far, but I will say this. Our government got a taste of power over citizens during the pandemic lockdowns. And I think I'm pretty confident that we're going to go back to some kind of lockdown coming up. Uh, they're talking about now February, March when the flu season really is about over, there's something that's going to happen to give them a leg up to do some lockdowns again. And um, what's it going to be? I don't know. I don't trust the medical bureaucracy anymore. Um, yeah. I, I, it's, it's hard for Americans to believe. We've been told our entire lives, medical profession, they're perfect. They're the profession in our lives today that we can trust all the time. And now Americans out there, many Americans are looking at doctors with fear. They don't know who to believe and what some doctor tells them if they can believe it. That's right. Are you seeing you're any right. of that, hearing any of that? Dan, I'm, I'm absolutely seeing that. And what you're saying completely resonates with me. In fact, if you going back to what you said about China, you know, the, the blood of the people of China are on the hands of the government. And, and I just want to put this out there. This last study clearly said that 
if we were talking about vitamin D, we could have potentially saved the lives of at least 116,000 Americans. So the government and their co-conspirators that, that shut this information down, the blood of those individuals that died without knowledge, which is so biblical, without knowledge, our people will perish. The blood of, of those individuals is, the hand on the, is on the hands of the government and all those individuals in big media, big medicine, big tech that colluded to shut this down. And I agree with you. Then if we don't push back, we can't just shut this down. We got to push back and go after them and change legislation and change and, and, and go after these attorneys that are going after these doctors frivolously so that they are afraid to do it again. If we don't push back, it's setting a precedent that we are willing to be controlled and to be slaves, Dan. And I agree with you. I'm seeing patients not wanting to go to the hospital, not wanting to go see their doctors, refusing to get care. So they're trying to find trusted few doctors. I mean, my offices are so busy right now, and that's why the government's trying to shut them down, because people are coming here because they trust us. We'll tell them the truth. And, and the government tries to allow patients not to come here by shutting down their ability to use their health insurance or trying to come after my license. I mean, this is truly socialism and communism to the 90th power, but we have the ability we have the ability to win this. We've just got to. We've just got to keep fighting, Dan. I've been praying that God will expose every member of Congress that refuses to get on board to take legislative action against this kind of stuff from happening. And I know we all know why it's happening. They all get massive contributions from the medical yeah. bureaucratic lobbyists. There's a lot of money yeah. that goes there. What's the Bible say? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not the right. root of all evil. The love of money is. So we're going to continue praying, and we're going to continue to work to do anything and everything we can for you and your practice. I know it's it's really, really taking toll on you personally and your family. I can't even imagine the pressure that you guys are under. But we as Americans, we got to tackle this. We need to do it together. Fightforeric.com. That's where you need to go, folks. Fightforeric.com. Now, hey, Doc. Yeah, Dan, it, it's fight, fightwitheric.com, my friend. Fightwitheric.com. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you, and I can't wait to come back with more updates. You call me anytime. I'm ready to have you back when you get more news. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Fightwitheric.com. Fightwitheric.com. That's what you need to go check out, find out exactly what you can do and how to do it. Because this guy's, he's literally in a fight for his career and not just his career, his life, his family. And very few of us will ever, thank goodness, ever face anything like that. But he doesn't need to face it alone. We, the people, need to rise up and help. Fightwitheric.com. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. 
It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G Ultra Wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G Nationwide available in 1800 plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house, your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Knowledge is the thing that we all use to be able to ferret out what to do, what not to do, what is good, what is bad, what's good for us, what's good for others. That's what we have to do is get our arms around the truth, around the facts, and then make educated decisions. I mean, in COVID world, folks, none of that ever happened. They took that ability away from millions, tens of millions, several hundred million Americans. They took it away from us. They tried to make us accept what we were being told as fact without giving us the opportunity to even consider it or talk about it. And that's just unconscionable. We can't live in that world. This is the United States of America. It was established at the beginning. It has always been. And it needs to continue to be government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Not like Xi Jinping's China, where he puts 25 million Chinese people, locks them in their homes. They can't leave for four months. Think about that. If you could not go out of your house for four months. Now, we had what we call a, um, you know, like a partial, partial lockdown. And we couldn't leave our home for a while. And it was kind of like a double whammy. In the middle of it, we had a very unusual snowstorm in North Louisiana. We couldn't get out of our driveways. You folks listening in the North, we have people that listen in Alaska, all over Canada. You're dealing with this bad winter weather. I don't see how you do it. Of course, you know how to drive. You know how to get out of your garage. You know how to handle snow. We in the South, we don't have a clue. But all that being said, you still have circumstances in which you find yourself in one place and you can't move around for a while. For us, it was three days. And that was one of the most, I mean, the first part of it, you think, hey, this is cool. We put on the fireplace, which we were doing already, but we put on good music. We watched a bunch of good movies. And it was fun for the first day. But after that, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, we got to get away from this. Well, speaking of China, I just was doing some reading and I noticed this. Maybe you've already noticed it. The Pentagon 
hasn't put in place any policies to track attempted cyber attacks by Russia, by China, by Iran, and other malicious hackers leaving our government with incomplete information on what is more than 12,000 attempted hacks from our enemies since 2015. Hackers have tried to penetrate computer systems belonging to the Defense Department, more than 1,500 cyber attacks each year. Think about that. The GAO keeps these numbers, but they don't keep the details. A federal investigation that recently determined the Pentagon is often not properly logging these attacks or reporting them to leadership. China, Iran, and Russia conducted many of the most high-profile attacks. DOD's system for reporting all incidents often contained incomplete information, and DOD could not always demonstrate that they had notified appropriate leadership of relevant critical incidents. That's according to the GAO. Until DOD assigns responsibility, they do not have assurance that its leadership has an accurate picture of the department's cybersecurity posture. Can you believe we're talking about this today in the United States of America with all of the bad actors around our globe that spend their lives hacking on computers and networks, getting in everything we have over here? Can you believe our Defense Department doesn't have a record of those attacks and who were the guilty players? No wonder when Hillary Clinton's server at our house, her illegal server, we find out from former FBI Director James Comey, when they went and broke down the hard drive on her server, every email she sent, Every email that went out or came in, that email and its contents was automatically forwarded to an overseas bad actor. Comey said they didn't know who it was. I don't know if I believe that or not. But even if I believe they know who it was, why did they let it happen when it was happening? Why did they only find out after all of this came to light, and that server was taken and broken apart, and all the tracking began. It should have been happening in real time, right? Every computer in our federal government needs to be able to have whatever is necessary to put on it so that the DOD and other security divisions of our government can track the bad players that are hacking into our government's computer systems. We're supposed to be the most advanced country on the planet. You would think that that would already be being done, but it's not. Speaking about some issues with the Biden administration, the Energy Department's chief of nuclear waste disposal, Sam Britton, who identifies as gender fluid. I started to say he can't say that he's gender fluid. Let me just read it this way. I'm going to read it verbatim so I don't get in trouble. Sam Brenton, who identifies as gender fluid, has been charged with 
felony theft after allegedly stealing a female victim's luggage at the airport in Minneapolis in September. Brenton was hired by the Biden administration back in February. He was filmed stealing a woman's roller bag at the airport's baggage claim area by security cameras. Security footage also showed Brenton taking the woman's luggage from the baggage carousel, then removing the tags before leaving the scene at a quick pace. After defendant took the blue bag from carousel seven, defendant is observed leaving the airport in a rideshare vehicle with the blue bag. Records from American Airlines confirmed that defendant did not check a bag when defendant departed Washington, D.C. to Minneapolis. Brenton is a very outspoken LGBTQ activist, identifies as gender fluid while using they, them pronouns. And according to the Washington Examiner, Brenton was also a member of a drag queen society called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence dressed up as a drag queen character called Sister Ray D. O. Active. Brenton was questioned by cops October 9th after security footage showed the nuclear official carrying the bag at Dulles International Airport, according to the complaint. He initially, Brenton did, claimed that, I said he, didn't I? Brenton initially claimed that the bag was taken by mistake, no clothes or objects had been removed from the case, before he revised his story. Approximately two hours later, defendant called your complainant. Defendant apologized for not being completely honest. Now, what does this do to gender-fluid people? It doesn't disqualify anybody for anything. Bad people are going to do bad things. In this particular case, I don't know. I don't know him. She, Brenton, is a human being unto the human being's self. You know, you can work your way into a, a not trying to be politically correct talking about stories like this. Maybe we should just shouldn't talk about them. Maybe some of you are saying, yeah, right. Why don't you stop talking about these stories? Oh, well, that's enough for Mr. Brenton or Ms. Brenton or... Gender fluid Brenton, we've got to go check in at Washington, D.C. We're going to get on the phone now with Steve Baker, and we are going to find out what the latest is. Those uh, oath keepers, the uh, juries on trial, but they are through. The judge, they finished everything. The judge sent them to whatever room or rooms they use to figure out what they're going to do, and they have been there for more than a week. And so what we're going to do right now is reach out to Eric. Eric, I just finished with Eric. Steve. Steve Baker, and find out what's going on in that regard. Let's get him on the phone here. Mr. Newman. Mr. Baker. Our people have been waiting for you with bated breath, and they are listening as oh, we speak. Well, I'm standing here between uh, the district courthouse in D.C., and I'm halfway between the courthouse and the Canadian embassy, and realizing that if I needed to run somewhere for asylum, I can't go there anymore. So, 
<laughs> that's how's that for an opening today? I would just recommend that if you see anybody that looks like a federal agent walking toward you, two of them to be exact, you might want to find a good place <laughs> to run and see if you can outrun them. Oh man, it's an interesting day today. We're in day three of uh, jury deliberations, and everything is the mood is different around the courthouse. It's different in the media room. Uh, just a few minutes ago, one of Stuart Rhodes' uh, attorneys, his Dallas-based attorneys, uh, came into the media room and started cracking everybody up. And he said a lot of off-the-record things that I, I can't repeat, but generally he was just really railing on the absolute BS that this trial has been from from the get-go. And it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting mood right now. I will say that. Now, help me out. When the jury comes back, are they considering verdicts on all four, or is this going to be one of a one one at a time? Uh, it will it will be on all five. Actually, there's five defendants in this particular trial, and uh, it will be covering uh, when they come back with their verdict. It will be uh, on all of the charges. There's ten to eleven charges faced that they're all facing, and the most serious one, of course, is the seditious conspiracy charge. And as a, as a general opinion, even among the, the mainstream media people, is they, they feel like that the government failed in uh, proving the seditious conspiracy for two reasons. Number one, there has to be an intent to stop or uh, overthrow the government by force. Uh, those, those two things, intent and force, and of course, force was not present in this, uh, in any of their behaviors. And of course, when they were uh, on the Capitol grounds, they had no weapons with them. So it's going to be a very, very difficult thing for them to, uh, come back. I think the jury and, and yesterday there was a jury note that happened and a jury note for the listeners is essentially they asked the court to clarify the actual seditious conspiracy, um, charges. And, and they, they brought the jury into the room, uh, and those that they actually posted the note from the, the jury up on the video screens there in the media room so that we could see them. And the note specifically wanted clarification, and Judge Maida, he didn't offer anything additional other than just the charges as they're stated and his original jury instructions. Now, that can be taken a couple of different ways. Uh, they they could be really struggling with it, or they just wanted to be sure that they've uh, they've got it you know exactly right in some manner. But a, a lot of I actually I actually uh, sat down with five of the defense attorneys this morning for coffee, and they feel like that today is the day. They feel like that the jury's going to come back today with the verdicts, and some of the more experienced uh, journalists here in the room think that it's going to take a little bit longer. But it's uh, it's it's an interesting thing that's happening around here right now. So when they uh, the feeling, go ahead. When they come back with the verdicts and the and the judge is going to read the verdicts, he's going to read them uh, person by person because they all don't have identical charges, right? That's correct. Most of them do. There's a couple of them that are that are charged differently on a couple of the more minor charges, but they're all charged with the three conspiracy charges. And then there's the aiding and abetting of the destruction of property, aiding and abetting of the uh, violence against police officers, which which is, again, something that's going to be very, very difficult to prove because video evidence clearly shows that there was, in fact, no 
uh, property damage done by these five defendants. They never touched the door at all, never touched a window, uh, didn't touch a, a single thing inside the Capitol. Uh, Jessica Watkins, one of the defendants, now she did admit and confessed in her, um, her personal testimony that she participated in a pushing scrum against some of the police officers that were defending a hallway towards the Senate chambers. And she not only admitted to that, she expressed her sorrow for that. And her own attorney said in his closing remarks that the jury should in fact convict her of that, but that she should be um, uh, acquitted on all the other charges. Speaking of Judge uh, Meadow, we haven't talked about him in a while. You've you've sat and watched this entire trial. You've listened to him. Um, I I know you can't tell exactly what's going on in his head. Nobody can. But just based on the things that he said and the way he responded when uh, questions were asked or motions were made, do you have a sense of where you think he's going to go with this? Well, uh, you know, it, it's no longer in his hands, uh, except when it comes down to actually sentencing. Should they be convicted of whatever charges, uh, he will certainly handle the uh, the sentencing. That that will come back to him. As far as the charges themselves, it's it's a hundred percent. The way I wrote about it yesterday is that uh, for the eight weeks of the trial, Judge Meadow was the god of the courtroom. Well, now. <laughs> Now it's the jury playing God, but uh, he will he will get it back when it comes time for for sentencing. But that is an interesting question overall, because in another recent case, just a couple of days ago, another January 6th case, there was a North Carolina defendant who was expected to get five to seven years. And Judge Meta actually had that case as well. And he sentenced the guy to only a year of home detention and three years of probation. So he, he seemed to have uh, some uh, leniency or some a moment of grace in, in regards to that case. And then, additionally, there is another Oath Keepers trial that has already started pre-trial hearings, which he is uh, the, the presiding judge over as well. And he is already indicating from things that he's learned in this trial that perhaps the government has pushed a few things too, too far. And, and, you know, Dan, you and I have talked about Meta uh, a lot over the last few weeks. And we've talked about his position here in D.C. and what his career arc is looking like towards possible next promotion to the district court. And then also maybe even a Supreme Court nomination at some point in his career. And, And I watched him over the course of this trial. And I went from a admiration of his intellect and his ability to handle the law as the law itself is presented to actually seeing him favor uh, in unfair ways the government's case in some of his um, rulings, particularly on motions, particularly on evidence that was presented, that sort of thing. And I, I, I can't help but get a sense that yet once again, if, if he is a fair jurist, that he is seeing the failures, as I said before, uh, of the government in making the case that these guys actually were trying to overthrow the government or stop the certification of the election. But again, that's now no longer in his hands. That's uh, totally on the jury. 
in my opinion, those two are separate things, you know. Yes. Uh, and I I find it difficult that any person in their right mind could even think that a group of men would think they could possibly overturn the government without bringing guns. I, I just don't <laughs> think that's plausible. I don't even know why the charges got to that level. I can understand they wanted to make a bunch of noise and get a lot of Americans believing that this was really a whole lot worse than it was. It was bad. There's no question about it. And it was illegal. No question about that. But trying to make it look as ugly as possible in the minds of Americans so they would support some really egregious sentences after the verdicts were brought in. Speaking of sentences... He does have the right to change what the sentencing guidelines are, and uh, he can make them lighter, make them worse, and for that matter, even dismiss them. Do you think we may yes, see any of that? I, I tell you what, man, I, I don't know. It, it really depends upon what the real behind-the-scenes um, political pressure is on the man. And, and, I, and it has to be palpable. And I don't, I don't believe for a second that he doesn't have uh, higher powers in the Department of Justice leaning on him, not only in the way he guided this case, that became evident to me early on, but also when it comes to the sen- sentencing, I, I just really find it hard to believe that he's going to be able to be as lenient in this case, because unlike other cases, this is the one that the government basically has created their targeted scapegoat for January 6th. Now, we can get into a lot of reasons why they feel like they need a scapegoat, but that's what this trial is. This is a political trial of five individuals and then again four or five in the next Oath Keepers trial as well who have been uh, targeted by the Department of Justice as the reason and the leaders of why this whole event on January 6th took place. And that's just not true. The evidence is overwhelming that they weren't anything close to being the leaders of the quote-unquote insurrection. They weren't even on the grounds yet when the first barricade breaches took place. They weren't even at the Capitol itself when the first door and windows were broken into. They weren't around. They weren't a part of that. And the government also never even made an attempt to connect these five defendants to those who in fact did lead the breaches and the breaking into the windows and the doors and the first several hundred people that entered through the Capitol. Uh, they were not part of any of that. So there's a lot of failures on the government's half, behalf in terms of providing that proof. And it comes back to the fact, or, and this is, this is the part that I worry about is that the jury will consider the inflammatory language, particularly of Stuart Rhodes, as being evidence enough in itself that they had some intention to do these more nefarious acts. But, uh, the, but those words even are, are called into question because one of the last things that this jury saw in the prosecution's uh, closing rebuttal statement before the, before the case was handed to the jury they saw a slide up on the screen that said something to the effect, it was a quote by Stuart Rhodes, where he said, civil war is coming. Now, interestingly, that quote was taken from November 9th, 2020. That was after the election, a couple of days after the election, but it was also 
several weeks before January 6th event and rally was even announced because that wasn't even announced as an event itself until December 19th of 2020. So when he said civil war is coming, that wasn't a call to civil war. He just said it was unavoidable. He believed in his mind that that this new government itself would eventually uh, put Americans in the place of having to choose sides and and in such a manner. And so it could be argued, or it should be argued, and it should be understood, that saying something is coming out of a personal belief and a personal set of political um, standards that one lives by and, and, and sees the world, or prism that they see the world through, is not a call for civil war. And it clearly wasn't. But that was the only thing the government had, was to take those inflammatory words and then twist them into what now is a implicit or uh, a plan for overthrowing the government and stopping the certification of, le- of the election rather than an explicit order to his troops, quote unquote, to go in and do that. thing. I've been curious to ask you this, this question. I'm sure as you sit and watch and listen to these trial days go by, how many days were you, by the way, how many were you in the courtroom? I was I was there every day of the trial, and that so is, that was uh, it, well it was eight weeks, but it was actually thirty thirty one trial days. Thirty one days. You've learned a lot by just sitting and looking and listening. What have yeah. you gotten to know about these defendants, these oath keepers? Anything surprise you? What kind of people are they? Well, to be honest with you, they are salt of the earth creatures. They are Americans first. They believe in the Constitution. They're all ex-military, retired, some of them disabled. Uh, Some of them have uh, permanent and 100% uh, war-related disabilities, including uh, physical and psychological. And they are uh, guys who looked for an organization to join so that they could continue the process of serving their country post-retirement or after they uh, resigned uh, from the military, and mostly, most of these guys joined the Oath Keepers because they uh, saw on the Oath Keepers website uh, that they do disaster relief, and particularly three of these, or two of these guys in this particular trial are from Florida, and they're, you know, right there in Hurricane Alley, and they specifically joined the Oath Keepers because of the Oath Keepers hurricane relief efforts that they do all over the country, and disaster relief efforts relief efforts. Not not only that, but also there was a huge uptick in the membership of the Oath Keepers after the riots of 2020 when these guys saw what looked like our country falling apart and they saw private properties and as well as government buildings and police stations and things of that nature being burnt to the ground in those 2020 riots. And they felt like that they wanted to become in, in Involved again in, in a, with an organization that was providing security details to protect American citizens and even protect uh, protesters. These these guys have actually engaged in protecting BLM protesters around the country from of uh, the more nefarious types of people who come with the intent of doing harm and doing damage and 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 uh, attacking uh, protesters. 
So they've, they've provided their services not just to personal property owners and businesses, but to actual uh, left-wing organizations themselves. You and I both know the way this thing has played out. It's purposeful. The timing has been purposeful. Everything about it has been purposeful. Tell us, we've got some people that are listening in today that haven't listened previously. Tell us what has happened waiting for this trial, these trials to begin, to a lot of these Oath Keepers. Where have they been? What kind of conditions and why? Well, uh, in this particular trial, four of the five have been held in detention for a long time. Stuart Rhodes was the last of this group to be arrested. He wasn't arrested until January of this year. And that's when the um, superseding indictment came down with the uh, seditious conspiracy charge. And then they lumped them all in together under him into one big um, batch of, of defendants. Then they had to split that group apart because they just there's no courthouse here in D.C. large enough to handle a trial of uh, 11 or 12 or however many there were at the time. But before that, some of these guys were arrested as far back as January of 2021. So some of these guys have been held in detention for over 600 days now, approaching two years. And their conditions have been deplorable. For one thing, as you know, coming from the, the side of the political spectrum in prison, which most of these guys inhabit, a lot of these guys refuse to take the vaccine. And because they refuse to take the COVID vax, they were held in solitary confinement for much of this time and treated literally tortured in some cases in ways that are just uh, beyond un-American. But the uh, point being is, is that these guys have been brutalized in, in their uh, detention for the last uh, well, 22 months. It's unfathomable. Whatever happened to that right to a speedy trial in the Constitution? I don't understand that. Well, there's an interesting, uh, we could talk about that for quite some time as well, because even though it would have been more fair for them to have a much speedier uh, day in court, when it came down to this particular trial, the, the, all of the, the uh, defense teams are unanimous in believing that this came too soon for them because there was a massive deluge of evidence dumped on them through discovery in just the last couple of months leading up to this trial, which made it absolutely impossible for them to properly prepare. So they would have opted for this trial to have taken place maybe as late as March or April of next year if they had had their choice. And motions were made to do that, but uh, Judge Maida felt like that it had gone long enough and he was going to go to trial. But there were reasons for that because I think that they wanted a conviction before the midterm elections. But then with all of the delays that happened in this trial, we had a couple of COVID cases. We had other things that just really threw off the timelines and they were not able to make that happen. But I think they wanted their five pounds of flesh or their notches in their gun belts or their scalps, whatever analogy you want to use, uh, before the midterms. And they just didn't get that. We know you're there for the duration you're waiting for the verdicts to come back. I know you will reach out immediately and give us an update. We can go live at any point if we're on the air. If not, you and I can do it recorded and bring it in yeah. on the next show. But I just pray that real justice will be done in this. I don't, and I've tried hard, Steve. I've tried hard yeah. with all the facts you've given us to come up with some way that justifies 
these guys going through the treatment that they've already gone through and the and then be sent to jail for any period of time. I just can't believe that this is happening in the United States. Unfortunately, it is, and I have witnessed it uh, every minute of this trial since it began. And I will tell you, my heart is as heavy today as it, as it has ever been about the condition of our country because this particular trial is much bigger than what's happening to these five defendants. This is a statement to America that you need to keep your mouth shut and you need to stay in your little lane, whatever your lane is, whatever your career is, your job, your place in the world, and shut up and keep quiet while we, while we, the big overbearing government, is going to do whatever the hell they want to do. And when you and open, that's, your, that's the story. And when you open your mouth, don't say anything negative about your federal government. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, listen, buddy, thanks for all your hard work, and you stay in touch. Let us know when you hear anything. I will do that, and, and uh, I would I would uh, encourage everyone that is on Twitter to uh, follow me there. It's You're fighting FTC back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance. With TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer sound effects on you? Yes! Cool. You okay with this? And this. And what about this? Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. I don't know about you, but I just can't imagine how these men and their families have been handling this and will handle this going forward. Do you, you don't think, I mean, I thought surely these guys had been getting together, making plans, you know, going through all kinds of scenarios. And we find out only when they come to trial, none of that was happening. It didn't happen. They weren't getting together. They were talking on the phone and there was some, chest bumping and all that kind of stuff, but nothing that you would think anybody would do if they were preparing to come and militarily in some fashion take over our government or somehow make the election results go away. 
Nothing like that happened. And I can't imagine these guys being held in jail this long. I know it was COVID world and all that kind of stuff, but these weren't people that were going to leave the country and run and hide. These were people that were going to stay here. They have families. They have real lives. They should have been sent home, maybe put an ankle monitor on them or something like that. But to keep them in one of the worst prisons in the United States under the most egregious circumstances for more than a year, I just can't imagine the United States of America doing that. You could see that happening in places like third world countries, like in Malaysia, uh, Southeast Asia, some of those countries over there, but not in the United States of America, and especially not a federal court, a federal prison. I just can't imagine that happening. Man, just when you think you've got figured out what level our leaders are willing to go to, how deep and ugly are they willing to drill, you find out that they've taken it one step further, and we the people suffer through it all. Let me blow your mind with something else. Talking about COVID-19, talking about adverse reactions, the earliest demographic, uh, demographics to get COVID-19 vaccines, who would that be? Healthcare workers. They reported a surprisingly high rate of serious complications from those vaccines. Now, that's according to data that the CDC just turned over under court order. 10 million plus users of the agency's V-Safe active monitoring smartphone app through July. That's 8.5 million of whom signed up between December 2020 and April 2021, before all adults were even eligible for COVID vaccines. Nearly 8% said they required medical care for adverse reactions from receiving the vaccines. Let me break it down for you. For patients ages 3 and older needing such care, 3 and 4 couldn't rely on telehealth visits. They had to have urgent care, 48% of them. Emergency room visits, 15%. Hospitalizations, 10%. For infants who were authorized to get the jabs this summer and are enrolled in V-Safe through parents or guardians, hospitalizations were much lower, 2%, thank God. But urgent care, 66%. Another 12% of V-Safe users reported they were unable to perform normal daily activities. 13% said they missed work or school, meaning one in three had more than mild adverse reactions. Well over 10 million symptom reports were filed each month from January through April of 2021, dropping to 5 million in May, hovering around a million for the next few months. The reports jumped above 2 million again in October. That was after President Biden's vaccine mandates for roughly 100 million workers, and it dropped to the low to mid-hundred thousands from January through July of 2022. The V-SAFE data obtained so far are posted by the Informed Consent Action Network as both interactive graphs and several gigabytes of files. It got them through ongoing Freedom of Information Act litigation against the CDC. 
Those are just the data the CDC affirmatively sought through checkboxes on vSafe surveys, which are sent to users every day for the first week after each dose, then weekly for six weeks and three, six, and 12 months after the final dose. It took a year and a half to get five Excel files, which likely took the CDC minutes to download and produce. Notably, chest pain and other cardiac symptoms that could indicate myocarditis and pericarditis, now known to be more common post-vaccines in people under 40, are completely missing from the survey checkboxes without which input data are harder to standardize. V-safe users would have had to write in cardiac symptoms on the survey form's other field, limited to 250 characters for them to be even be counted. ICANN is still trying to compel the agency to turn over this free text field data, its lawyer Aaron Siri told Just the News. The fact that the agency did not prompt users to consider adverse events of special interest it had already identified in an early VSA protocol is one of the best and most compelling pieces of evidence supporting premeditated conduct. That's wrongful conduct, folks. The CDC and dozens of its publications relied on the data from VSAFE to argue and support recommendations regarding COVID-19 vaxes that upended the lives of tens of millions of Americans who refused to comply with mandates. The checkbox figures add context to CDC researchers' peer-reviewed March study in The Lancet, which found that deaths following mRNA vaccination constituted 1.3% of reports to the passive VAERS reporting system. Just more insanity, folks. Just more evidence that the government has been and is hiding things from the American people about everything to do with COVID-19. They want us to just benignly trust them for everything. I got to be honest with you. More and more every day as these things kind of begin to slowly leak out that give us facts that prove how egregious and purposeful our government was through the pandemic and even the run-up to the pandemic, not telling us anything at all, then telling us misinformation purposefully, and then refuting or trying to refute facts, throwing out false facts if there are such things, but hiding it and people dying left and right, people getting sick, and people like Dr. Anthony Fauci standing up in front of us every day, pontificating from the White House press briefing room about how evil we are because we just don't benignly and bow to Dr. Fauci. He had been telling us for months, follow the science, follow the science. And then one day it got kind of tense in the White House briefing room. And he said this, I am the science. I am the science. He's not the science. Dr. Fauci is not the science. I can just tell you that. Joining us now is Peter. Hi, Peter. Are you there? Well, it said Peter. He's not there. Anyway, Fauci, 
took it one step further. He was asked but couldn't cite a single study that changed his mind about masking against COVID-19 during a deposition a few weeks ago. Did you get that? He couldn't cite any studies that changed his mind about masking. Now, what does that mean? They were asking him questions about what he knew about masks that worked and masks that don't work. And he couldn't come up with any answers. Now, you would think this guy, who is supposed to be, as he told us, I am the science. You remember that? He told us that. And he doesn't have any of that information, and he can't remember any of it. In a February 5th, 2020 email, he said that the typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through the material. Two months later, he and other top officials reversed course, issued widespread masking recommendations regardless of symptoms. Asked about the change while under oath on November 23rd, he couldn't provide any studies. That's according to lawyers representing plaintiffs in a case against the government. He was asked what studies or study changes his mind in that interim period, which is what he claimed. He claimed that it was studied. He couldn't name any. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who, by the way, is a Republican, who was also present during the deposition in Maryland, said that Fauci couldn't cite a single study to back up his claim that masks were effective against COVID-19. The CDC made the change in masking advice on April 3rd, 2020, leading to widespread mask mandates. Officials, including then-CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield, said studies indicating asymptomatic transmission of COVID led to the change. They talked about zero studies on mask effectiveness. Many studies on masks don't support their usage, including a CDC study widely cited by top officials. During an appearance that day on PBS, Fauci promoted the change, saying it was based on data regarding asymptomatic transmission. Just remember this. At truthnewsnet.org, we published 31 different controlled tests of every type of mask there is that's been sold or distributed regarding stopping or protecting from COVID-19, 31. Not a single one of them said that they were effective at stopping or preventing COVID-19 from getting through it, either coming into the wearer or the wearer breathing it out and going out into the atmosphere where it could attack other people. Not a single one. Now, why is all this coming out after the fact? As I told you, a little bit leaking out here, a little bit leaking out there. I wonder how long it's going to keep going coming out. I wonder how much we're going to find out that we've been told was a lie. A wealthy Massachusetts healthcare system that went on a very controversial advertising spree to justify its encroachment on cheaper hospitals is now sending patients 
a different message than when they sent this out. What's their message? Watch your language. Words or actions that are disrespectful, disrespectful, racist, discriminatory, hostile, or harassing around maybe being not welcome at Mass General Brigham, according to a patient code of conduct imposed this fall after a year of development. The October 6th video for the update featuring Senior Medical Director for Health Equity Allison Bryant says it applies to further constituencies. Patient, family, visitor, and research participant code of conduct. So what they're doing is they're telling people that are coming in to visit patients, you can't say this or you can't say this. The code covered not only physical or verbal threats and assaults and sexual or vulgar words or actions, but also offensive comments about others' race, accent, religion, gender, sexual orientation, or other personal traits, or refusal to see staff based on those traits. It frowns on unwelcome words or actions as well. Patients can give their side when they're accused of violating the code. The hospital warns that it may ask them, even if they ask uh, to be excused, to make other plans for their care in response to some violations. You just can't believe this stuff is happening. We've been for three years now talking about health care being a real top-shelf healthcare bureaucratic system that has become another one of those living, breathing giants that have so much control of our lives. And this is a prime example. They're standing up on the hill and they're saying, don't mess with us. If you do, we'll turn you in. And I have an advocacy group that fights woke activists in medicine warned this month that the code's failure to define its terms or explain who decides violations raises the likelihood that this hospital will kick non-woke patients out of the hospital. Failure to use preferred pronouns could constitute harassment. Disputing the existence of systemic racism could be deemed racist and favoring equal access to care over equity could be labeled discriminatory. This group was co-founded by Stanley Goldfarb, former associate dean of instruction in the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, who's now retired, by the way, who was slurred as a racist in medical publisher STAT by Harvard Medical School instructor Eric Gottlieb last month. Do Not Harm noted that one of this hospital's founding members and Harvard Med's training hospital, Brigham and Women's, launched a pilot last year that explicitly granted preferential care based on race to redress past wrongs, even while acknowledging it might be illegal. In other words, we're not sure this will fly, but you know what? Who cares? It's important enough for us to talk about, so we're just simply going to talk about it. I did not want to get away without letting you hear John Kennedy Senator Kennedy weigh in on Hannity from last night on his thoughts about the Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock race coming up. How important do you think this race is and how do you see it unfolding? Well, a a neutral observer might point out, Sean, that uh, President Obama 
came into Georgia for Ms. Stacey Abrams in her gubernatorial bid, and it didn't seem to help her very much. But if, if I were running Senator Warnock's campaign, I would certainly bring in President Obama before I'd bring in President Biden. Um, as I've told you before, I don't hate anyone, but uh, at this juncture, the Biden administration, I think, is best known uh, for its world-class vacuity. Um, according to the polls, most Americans wouldn't, wouldn't trust President Biden to salt the fries at uh, McDonald's. Now, as to Georgia, um, in a 50-50 Senate, which we'll have if Mr. Walker is elected, it will be much easier, much easier to beat back the berserk wing of the Democratic Party. But it's not just about votes in the Senate. It's also about values in America, in my opinion. Uh, Herschel Walker understands that vetting people at the border is not racist. It's prudent. Herschel Walker understands that the criminals are not the good guys. They're the bad guys. Um, Herschel Walker understands that uh, we need to have an election day, not an election month. And Herschel Walker understands that Arlington National Cemetery contains 400,000 reasons why you should stand your ass up for the national anthem. And that's really what this election is all about. And the final point I'd make, if, if, if to the good people of Georgia, if nothing I, I have said has persuaded you, here's what I want you to do. Before you go to the polls, go grocery shopping, fill up your gas tank, and pay your electric bill, and then ask yourself how you ought to vote. <laughs> people of Georgia, I'm sure, have been and are doing exactly that, as we all should do. Hey, listen, big day today. Want to thank both guests for coming on, Steve Baker and Dr. Eric. Thank you so much. Hey, guys, you have a great Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow morning here at TNN Live.